and welcome to the TPM Podcast with your host, Mario Gerard. This is part two of the podcast with Arjun Subramaniam. If you haven't listened to part one, do go back and listen to that first because this is going to be a continuation of that. Thank you so much for listening and hope you enjoy it. What made you kind of move from the TPM role to the product role? So a lot of this was just my own process of self-discovery of what I wanted. I really loved the business side of building. I enjoyed understanding the business dynamics. I just loved working with the non-technical stakeholders as much as I enjoyed working with the technical stakeholders. And then as I looked at like all the cool stuff happening on AWS and there's this entire type of product management that was a a technical product management role, like, you know, where you could really grow up in. And that that was like my choice based on my interests on how I wanted to kind of go. And so I also decided, you know, just going back to the original point, I really wanted ownership of the frontier space, like owning the actual, you know, product definition, the business strategy, um, being able to go build that. And so I, I really enjoyed that. So that's how I took my career. It was, in hindsight, I actually wish I'd done it sooner. Oh, really? But, it, you know, we all go walk the path yeah, of yeah. discovery, right? Like, you know, we have to go figure this out for ourselves. But it's been a really positive thing for me. If people are, like, hesitant about following their instincts, I almost always, you know, think, you know, you can't go wrong with it. Like, you know, you should give it a chance, right? Yeah. I mean, following your instincts, where yeah. that takes you. Yeah, so, yeah. and I, I think that in some in some respects, like, because most TPMs don't do that, there's not as much of a blazed trail. Yeah. I hesitated from going down that road, but eventually I did. And I feel like it's been a really positive thing for me. Yeah. So TPMs, generally, a lot of them transition to engineering managers at some point if they want to go down that route. But move to product is a little, I've seen a little fewer people actually moving from TPM to product. Yeah. So it, it's not a very common path forward, but it's nice to see that you did that and you've kind of enjoyed that journey. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. So coming back, like, um, how do you evaluate the technical aspects of a TPM? Since, as you were saying, right, you were a bar raiser at Amazon. What's your um, yardstick of how you measure that? So I, I want to kind of maybe describe this yardstick with, let's look at some kind of uh, building block skills. Yeah, yeah. All right. So before you even get to the kind of the technical skills, yeah. right, which itself is a kind of a basket of skills, yes. right? The first thing that I'm really assessing is, am I looking at a candidate based on the data in their responses? Okay, this is really important, all right? Based on what they're telling me in the interview, am I looking at someone who is a pristinely clear thinker? The logical thought process, structured thinking, and analytical capabilities should just bleed from their responses. That means that I'm really attuned to looking for people where there's very clear causality, there's structure in their responses. They're able to not just say that they had an experience, you know, the tell me a time type interview questions, but they're able to organize their experiences in really structured blocks. They have a mental model for yeah. how they see the world. Yeah. And they're able to express that to you and able to sustain questioning. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Okay? It's like a mind map. It's a yes. I need to know that you are a clear analytical thinker. Yeah. That's the first thing. If if I can't do that, 
Yeah. None of this other stuff matters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I really believe in behavioral interviewing after having done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of loops, not just for TPMs, but for across the board, across as the board, as a bar, right, yeah. as a bar raiser, right? As a bar raiser. And across companies now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really, really believe in behavioral interviewing because it is actually a test of both the interviewee, like the, the candidate and the interviewer. Yes. The most important thing being it anchors the interview on the candidate's context. Yeah. As opposed to my context. Yeah. Okay. So let me repeat that. Okay. Behavioral interviewing is very different than, you know, problem solving, puzzle, puzzle yeah, solving yeah. type questions. Yeah, yeah. Because it gives the candidate an opportunity to own the context yeah. of the interview. Okay. Because by definition, you are talking about your experiences. Yeah. All right. And it puts the onus on the interviewer, right? Yeah. To be an effective assessor of your skills in the situation you're in. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about those blocks, the yeah. clarity of thinking, right? Yeah. It's not sufficient just to have experiences. A lot of people will say, well, I managed this project. I did this. I did that. But then if you really just sit down with them and go like, okay, as a practitioner, yeah. okay, I want you to paint for me, okay, what the hardest challenges were. Who were the customers? What were the problems? What was the hard part yeah. about the problems, right? And what was your part in it? What was your part in it, right? Very quickly, you'll see... Unraveling. Uh, yeah, unraveling. And you'll see like one, one type of candidate come out really ahead really fast. And this candidate typically has a structured response. Yeah. Okay? They don't just answer the question. What they first do is they tell you how they're going to answer the question. They paint for you the situation, the blocks. They paint for you the constraints. And they tell you, given these constraints, given these blocks, given this particular dynamic, this is what I knew. These were the facts. These were the problems. And this is how I went about solving them. Okay. Yeah. Now this is powerful because it's a widely applicable skill. I could take this person who's a clear thinker yeah. and I can put them in a different situation. And they'd be able to succeed. And they'd be able to succeed because what they've demonstrated in that situation is a generalized understanding of how problem solving works. Yeah. And how they can articulate hard situations yes. and hard problems, right? Right. That's the first thing. Yeah. Okay. The second thing is, I also look for certain temperamental qualities in TPMs and active listening is one of them. Okay. Active listening is very, very different than passive listening. Okay. Active listening is you are getting information to understand, not getting information to respond. Okay. So in the interview, for example, right, if you ask a clarifying question and the candidate just blows right by it or doesn't answer the question, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Because if you're in a setting with a stakeholder, what you're really doing is destroying trust because you're not listening to that yeah. person. Okay? Setting aside whether you agree with them or don't agree with yeah. them or what you, that doesn't matter. The active listening part is listening to understand, just understand the other person. So that's tested in the interview. That's yeah. the second piece. Okay. The third piece is being able to take subtle cues. This is really important because if you are this orchestration problem solver, right, and you have all of these like consensus building issues across organizations, which you will, if you yeah. go to an Oracle, you go to a, a, an Amazon or Apple, whatever, right, you have really, really smart, opinionated stakeholders, and you got to be able to listen to cues. And every stakeholder has 
something they care about, yeah. which is not what you care about. Right, right. And you have to go in to build consensus all the time. Yes, building consensus is a, in order to build consensus, you can't build consensus, which is like more like a top level block. Yeah. But it, the, the skill underneath consensus is you got to be able to actively listen yeah. and you got to be able to listen and pick up on cues. So in the interview, for example, if you give them some feedback about how you don't agree with how they solved something. Yeah. And there's defensiveness. Yeah. That's a really good example of how they might react in the real world in the real world situation. Yeah. It's really important to understand that a lot of this stuff is just practice. But it's also practice in the real world. You don't have to practice for the interview. Yeah. If you just practice these things while you're out and about, I don't know if anybody will tell you yeah. that being a better active listener doesn't make you a better person. Yes. Being able to pick up on subtle cues, yeah. it just makes you a better person. Body language. Yeah, it's just 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 yeah. pay attention. Yeah. Right? And Being, care. And care, right? And genuinely care. Like yeah. really care about what the other person like. Same thing with problem solving, yeah. right? Forget about the fact that you want to be at TPM. What if life threw a particularly hard problem at you? Yeah. Don't you want to have the a skills. deep body of generalized problem solving skills? Yeah. That help you, yeah. That help you, right? So it's just, it's just the good news is it's just practice. But but that's the foundation. The foundation is just like really strong block and tackle yeah. of what it means to be an analytical, empathetic problem solver. Got it. Right? That's that's the that's foundation. Yeah. If you don't have that, it just doesn't matter how technical you are. Yeah. No one will care. On top of that, now let's get to the tech part. If you do all this stuff, there's a damn good chance that if you are in the real world, you're probably going to learn the tech stuff, even if you are not very good at it today. But the way to assess it is actually just put them in an engineering team, an engineering problem-solving context. Yeah. And most of the time, what I've seen is people that ace the foundational blocks, yeah. they'll usually have some kind of technical sophistication. Yeah, or at least ask the right questions. They'll at least ask the right questions, but they're not going to bomb. Now, this is just a rule of thumb. This yeah. from what I've seen, okay? Yeah. But usually what will happen is you, this is why in Amazon, we have like a technical interviewer, like someone yeah. in that whose job it is like, they'll tell you, hey, look, I, I'm going to give you a complex architectural problem, yeah. right? I want you to kind of help me understand how you'd go about solving it. Yeah. If you're doing the, the things that I just told you, where you have like a structured thought process, you're problem solving with the constraints in mind, yeah. you're thinking about the customer, you're laying this out. You may have some spectrum, like maybe like an amazingly technical person may give you a very sophisticated design yeah. proposal. And then someone who's reasonably technical might not have such a sophisticated answer, yeah. but you'll be able to figure this out. Yes. So anyway, I, I think that's the way to go about it. And like, if you think about optionality of human talent and human capital, and you put yourself in the perspective of a company that's growing really fast, a yeah. software company that grow fast and complexity is just um, exploding. exploding. You just cannot hire someone for who they are in a specific point in time. Yeah. You just can't. You, you have to have some data yeah. that shows you that they're flexible, they're adaptable, they have the cognitive framework and the, the curiosity and all of that stuff yeah. that's going to help them swim. In any type of water that you throw them right, in. Right, right. You, you, you need that. Yeah. And I it, think that's why like companies like Amazon, not Amazon, I think Google, Facebook, all nowadays, they just interview you for a TPM role and then you go for a team match yeah. after that because ideally you are able to handle any of these teams or work in any, any organization within you know the larger Facebook or Meta or whatever you call it, right? Yeah. So so you have all of those skills that 
enable you to go and swim anywhere within the organization and be successful at it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, who would have thought 10 years ago, if you had a TPM and you said, well, I'm going to hire this person because they're really good at like building web applications. And then now Amazon has supply chain optimization. It's a completely different world, probably going to be bigger than UPS and FedEx. Yes. Right. And you hired someone who's who's this person who won't grow past that peg. Yeah. Right. They're in that shape. They'll never go past that shape. Maybe that's okay. But what you really want is you can't have everybody like that. You need to have talent that can grow. That can grow. And also they can kind of like shape shift, adapt. Right. Like no matter which situation they're in. And and I think for many roles, especially for the TPM role, the assessment bar has to be majority that. Yeah. Because the adaptability, the adaptability, the generalized thinking, yeah. problem solving, dive deep, being credible with engineers. If you think about critical thinking as just like, you know, Tesla and Elon Musk really kind of pound on this, this idea that you have to understand something from first principles. Yeah. First principles understanding. There's nothing about this method of thinking that is, to me, technical or non-technical. It's just a way of thinking. If you know how to do this, and you practice it every day, you get better at it. You can go in any situation and you can apply it. You can apply it in the kitchen if you're making lasagna. Yeah. Or you can go apply it in distributed systems. Yeah. It's a general purpose kit yeah. for understanding how the world works. Yeah. Well, that's that's really interesting how, how you put it. Once you're on the job, do you have any tips for like TPMs, like what they can do to improve their skills or to do better at work or something like that? TPMs, product managers, I think they're fairly similar. What would be your like five things to keep a watch out for or to do as, as you're on the job? One thing that people need to understand, your job is not the work. If you go ask someone, even this conversation that they're having right yeah. now, you're told that you know, your job is a TPM. Your job is the product manager. And what you just asked me was, what do I do every day? And my answer is, you have to understand there's a difference between the job and the work. Yeah. All right. Okay. So if I'm a TPM or a product manager, what have you, but that's not the work that I do every day, what is it? And the answer is your work is actually a set of skills that you have to practice every day. It is literally something you deconstruct into a set of skills and it's something you have to practice every day. You can't change that depending on whether your project went well or didn't go well. You had a good day or a bad day. You can't change that because your boss changed. There's a definition that you create for yourself about what is the set of skills I'm developing right now. And that's not the job description. It's actually just the work you got to do every day. Makes sense. Practically speaking, consensus building is a skill. Yeah. Critical thinking, first principles thinking is a skill. The work is really just practice that stuff every day. Got it. And most of it is actually not, if you just sit down and go like, you might have an opportunity to practice like just one skill a day. Yeah. And it might just be actually for like 30 minutes. Like you might have one single meeting. one-on-one yeah. or a meeting, right? Where you have to practice active listening to the nines. Like you yeah. have to be like so tuned in yeah. to everything in that room that you're picking up on all the subtle cues. You understand yeah. where every stakeholder stands on this, right? Sometimes it's just that. But it's just about accepting that that's the work. And you just, if you do that work every day, there's a basket of skills that make you super effective that you get to build on. And then you just get better at them over time. And no one can deconstruct the job to the work 
except you. You got to do gotta that. You got to do it for you yourself. You got to do it for yourself. Yeah. That's, that's the process, which I think a lot of people misses. They look, you know, I know a lot of people that will look to like career guides or they'll look to like leveling guide or yeah. like they'll look to like, and there's nothing wrong, by the way. These are all good artifacts. But about 90% of the value comes from the reflective process of figuring out what is the work you got to do. You got to figure that out and you just have to do it, right? And you can't do everything in a year. You can't do everything in a day. So you got to pick your battles. You know, you could just listen to your stakeholders and be like, wow, like um, I'm getting a ton of feedback that says I can't convince people of anything. So that's just you having to practice that. Yep. Break it down like any skill. Consciously. Consciously. And you got to practice it. And it's, a, it's again, and this is why I, ha- I really look for the clarity of thinking and the analytical yeah, skills. Yeah. Because someone who's thinking analytically about yeah. something will naturally deconstruct feedback. Yeah. Like if someone gives you feedback, right? Yeah. One way to react to it is to be like defensive or whatever. Yeah. But another way to react to it, be like, okay, I'm going to break this down. Yeah. What, what was can the, I do? Yeah, what can I do? What's the situation? Yeah. What happened in that situation? What specific skill, if I had had in that situation could have done better now let's go and kind of rep that right yeah it's like it's just like lifting weights or like doing yeah. deadlifts or something like that your form has to be spot on yeah right and i think if you need to be consciously cognitively trying to practice that skill yes don't like just do it uh, unconsciously like okay you are going into a place where you need to negotiate or you need to build consensus so what are the skills i need to have to do that what's my strategy around that and how am I going to attack the situation? Yeah. And be like very conscious of these things that you need to do and practice those skills again and again. Oh, yeah. I can't agree enough about this with you. This, the process of just setting the intention before going to a meeting, right? Yeah. Before going somewhere or even starting your day, just setting the intention in your head is like, my intention today is to just get better at this thing. Yeah. Like I'm going to go practice this one thing. Yeah. It just flips some kind of bit in your head. Yeah. And all you got to do is that one thing yeah. that day. It could be a hundred other things that you're yeah. doing, but consciously I'm going to put my heart and soul and I'm going to think this through of how I'm going to solve this. Yes. And I think that that itself changes so much in how you're going to deal with that situation. Yeah. 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 And the, the other daily thing that's, yeah. that's important, I think, is not being super siloed in the ways you consume information. Okay, so for for example, like a lot, you know, like it's easy to get into a world where you believe that the only information you need to be good at your job is technical documentations, email, what your boss tells you and meeting notes. You could live in that world. Yeah. Okay. there's nothing wrong with those things, by the way. You should do all those things. But it's really important to have a, a diverse information diet because part of the way creative problem solving works is you need to be able to draw inspiration from different variety of kind of like uh, information diet, right? You can't get all your nutrition from From those things, from those things. You just can't, you just, there's no pill like that. So for example, you you really, and this is, you know, speaking of intention, right? And thought in like intentionally doing something, you got to intentionally diversify your information diet. So and that, is that just at work you're talking about or, or is it like within the work environment or even general personal life as well, right? Well, I, yeah, it, like many things, I actually think this just makes you a better person. But I definitely think the best, most creative problem solvers I've seen in mm-hmm. these environments are people that are diverse in where they draw knowledge from. And I think that you have to decide what that is. So for example, like 
I just read a lot. Like, so I like to read a lot of books and I read like across a wide spectrum and not all of it I know is going to be useful. I just read it because it's interesting and it allows my brain to pattern match. And I think that diversity of information improves your ability to think creatively and problem solve. And it lets you draw inspiration from people in domains. Like you might, you might realize that like, you know, hey, like, you know, Viktor Frankl had a really important thing to say about like how to deal with like some, some situation that you might experience at work. It's just completely different, right? Like you can draw from a variety of sources to improve your, improve your situation, not just in life, but also just get better at what you do, your craft. Got it. That's a, that's a good, uh, good tidbit information. So I think we've kind of covered the first section of uh, what we want to talk about. Right? We spoke uh, about TPMs, we spoke about product managers, we spoke about the role, we, little, we touched a little bit about leadership principles, how candidates need to present themselves, logical thinking, and so much more, I think. So this is a good wrap-up of this conversation I'm having with Arjun on technical program managers, product managers, and program managers. Stay tuned for our next episode, probably, where we are going to talk more about burnout. Arjun, thanks for joining us today. We'll do the next episode on uh, burnout. Thanks. If you enjoyed that, definitely share it with your friends and colleagues. It really helps. And do subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed listening to that. See you on the other side.